Welcome to E-Commerce with Coffee, a podcast powered by Amber Engine, where we share e-com secrets for brands over your favorite brew. We start with the caffeine and then leap enthusiastically into behind-the-scenes e-com insights that led to the success of our guests. I'm Nate Svoboda, and I'm about to serve you up the best. Let's get started. Welcome to today's episode of e-commerce with coffee. In this conversation, we get to speak with Will Lawrenson. He is the founder of Customers Who Click, uh, also an avid podcaster, um, and he's a customer experience and conversion rate optimization expert, um, specifically, you know, consulting with D2C brands and helping them succeed. Now, today, we're really going to be focusing on how to build loyal customers through delivering them great experiences. Now, well, Will, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Awesome. Um, really excited for the conversation today. Now, I know we were just chatting about this and joking a second ago. Um, I imagine caffeine's got to play some type of role in your life. Is that fair to, fair to assume? Yeah. Um, yeah, I've got a coffee at the moment in my uh, my kind of thermos, whatever, like insulated mug. Do you do it um, like, do you do anything to your coffee? Do you just drink it straight? Are you a hot guy? Hot uh, coffee, cold of, coffee? A little bit of milk. Yeah, hot, hot, um, I think cold coffee is not as big a thing over here as it is okay. in the States. Um, not unless you go to Starbucks or something. Um, yeah, it's just hot hot coffee, a little bit of milk. That's it. Nice and simple. Yeah. Um, well, gives me the, the, that hit I need. Yeah, no, exactly. I it It is... Not, nothing feels better than uh, that first sip of coffee in the morning, right? Just that little yeah. uh, that jolt that shoots but, through you. Um, awesome. I've actually... I have actually started using this other... This tea, actually. Okay. Um, which is like a an energized tea so i don't get as much ca- caffeine it's something like 14 milligrams of caffeine is it like a, a coffee's like 200 or something is it like a green tea or a black tea or um i, I don't really know it's like a herb i guess like a herbal i don't know but it, but it tastes really good i'm not normally a fan of herbal teas and things but this is really good so i normally start the day with one of those and then have coffee a bit later okay when i'm starting to flag interesting um, to, but I'll... only only because i've heard that it's bad to have coffee first thing yeah, I've I've heard that too. And plus, tea yeah. is really good for your you know good for your gut health and your you know digestion and all that yeah. stuff. So interesting. I may have to I may have to follow up with you about that and see what that brand is. <clears throat> um, yeah, sure. We're really excited for us to chat today. Now, you know, before we dive into it, you've had a variety of experiences at you know number of different companies, different industries, you know, and all of those learnings were still focused around customer experience and conversion rate. So I know that's a, a huge nebulous topic, but maybe could you distill some of the the biggest learnings and experiences that you've had um, that ultimately has brought you down the path you're on now? Yeah, so I guess a bit, a bit of my background. Um, I started off in in a bunch of startups. Actually, I probably moved. I moved through about four different startups in the first six, seven years of my career. You know, doing. Um, I mean, the first first one was more. It was a very strange setup, anyway. Um, but I, I just generally found myself doing a little bit, obviously a little bit of everything in marketing because that's what um, that's what you do in a startup. But very often getting involved in the product side as well and saying, look, you can give us all this money to spend, but we're going to struggle to convert people. We're going to struggle to retain people unless the product itself is better. You know, one of them was a, an app for magazines. So it was a bit like Spotify for magazines. So I was saying, well, you know, we need to help people discover magazines. We've got to help them uh, save magazines, favorite them. We then need, when they favorite a magazine, we should be sending them push notifications to bring them back, that sort of thing. And the other one was a, a car booking app, a bit like Zipcar, uh, which I think you, you guys have. Um, 
And so, yeah, it was about you know, how do we help people find the car, the, the nearest car to them? How do we help them book it, uh, remove all the complications and everything like that? Because the developers obviously kind of build, they build the product and say, well, it works, right? It does what we, we designed it to do, but it's not necessarily a user-friendly product. So that kind of kicked off, those experiences kind of kicked off this whole CRO customer experience approach that I, I have now. And I think in the end of, at the end of the day, it comes down to three three main areas that I focus on. So there's usability, which like kind of like I was talking about, right? Can you use the app, use the website? Does it help you? I mean, does it work, first of all, right? Um, you know, the amount of times a website doesn't work properly on a specific browser or on a specific device because your live chat button happens to be placed over your add to cart, something like that. So there's that aspect of usability, but then the other aspect is, does the website help you get to where you need to be? So if I click on a PPC advert or a Facebook advert and it lands me on a product, if that product is not right for me, how do I get to the right product? And does the website really help me do that? Or does the website just have you know standard navigation, a standard search bar, and, and that's about it? No, I, um, so that's, I was I was using a site the other day that, uh, or I think it was it was something to do with uh, a friend of mine who was using it for work. It was a portal. It required you to use Microsoft Edge. That was the limitation. There was no other browser you could use except for you know the Microsoft Edge or Microsoft Explorer. And to your point, even little experiences like that, you know, if I'm going to try to buy something and I'm using Google Chrome and and it know the cart checkout experience doesn't work you know that exactly like you're saying right like that's going to be a huge red flag for me um yeah but it can be as simple as what normally happens is that you know checkout will work fine but there'll be some sort of pop-up or overlay or something which just happens to appear in the wrong place on that browser and on potentially on a browser on a certain device like a, a certain android phone or something that that tends to be where i see the problems the you know the the website works technically but there's just some accidental consequence of something that is then causing a block in that experience yeah and i know that you know the answer to this definitely varies product to product service to service but you know generally speaking are there any major differences that you know you've seen in how to optimize uh, the customer experience for selling a service versus selling a product online or are those still pretty similar processes at the end of the day I think you're still thinking about the same it's the same questions it's the same approach really you know you're still focusing on usability anxiety motivation um, and you're still ask you're still trying to answer the questions of is this the right product or service for me and is, the, is this the right business to buy that product or service from? And if you're just focusing on those as a as your kind of top level approach, uh, that will that will take you in the right direction. And then obviously it comes down to when you're trying to fix that anxiety or and answer those questions a customer has, what is the approach you have to use? And that's that's where it will probably vary a little bit. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, it comes down to you know messaging. Uh, imagery very important if it's if it's a product that you're selling. Um, so I, yeah, I think the approach you can take is still very very similar. No, and and that makes sense. Now, I think we've already talked about a couple of different acronyms uh, or KPIs, I guess. But I, you know, what ultimately um, do brands expect to gain um, from working with you know for you for example? Like you're obviously looking at you know clicks, you're looking at traffic. Um, but what are those metrics that are driving the decisions you're making? At the end of the day, most of the time it's it's revenue, and you know, 
well, yeah, it is revenue. Um, people want the sales. I obviously try and focus on, uh, I guess, the most profitable revenue that we can. Right. So avoiding really heavy discounts, av- avoiding trying to convert people by using discounts, and focusing on that, on answering those questions. Right. Because if you can, like I said, if you can persuade someone that it's the right product for them, and you can persuade someone that you know you're a, a legit uh, quality business, and that they should buy that product from you then they should buy that product from you. Right. Um, you could reduce reduce some of the risk with, you know, free returns policy. Um, you might do free shipping if it's over a certain threshold. And, you know, one thing I'd recommend is offering a discount in exchange for data. So getting people to answer some questions uh, as part of that email capture, not just first name and email, because that doesn't really tell you anything, but asking someone a question that is relevant to your business and will allow you to communicate to them in a way which will, which should then convert. So that might, you know, you might be saying, what category are you interested in? Um, you know, if it, if it was something like Netflix, for example, when they when you first log in, if they ask you, you know, what are your favorite TV TV show categories or what what genre of movie do you like? You select those, and then what they should be doing is placing those sort of movies in front of you because that's the stuff that's going to get you to engage, particularly in that trial period. Right. So it's a similar thing with. Um, the date, the questions you should be asking at this this email capture. No, absolutely. You know, people have always said that consumers want choice, and that's true to a point. But I I would argue, and I I feel like I've heard other people say this. You know, consumers don't necessarily want more choice; they want better choice, right? They want things that are applicable to them, that are relevant, that they would actually want. Um, and plus, gathering those yeah. data points it allows you to more effectively target, you know, or uh, you know, provide them recommendations in the future, right? And one thing I know I've heard you talk about a lot, uh, and I think a lot of brands. And, you know, e-commerce folks don't talk about this enough is customer lifetime value, right? You're bringing somebody in, but then what does that relationship look like post-purchase and down the road? Um, I guess I'll, I'll pause there. When you think about lifetime value and trying to improve that, what are some of the decisions that you're making based on that metric, based on that more long tail? Yeah, so obviously we're focusing on, on retention, really. Um, you know, you can get... Sometimes you can get an indication from that first purchase, but it's it's rare and it changes and situations change. I remember speaking to, um, we have a furniture company here called Oak Furniture Land. Uh, unsurprisingly, a lot of their products are oak, <laughs> um, you know, wooden furniture. Um, it's really nice stuff, actually. And what they found in the pandemic was because obviously their stores closed during lockdown, they found that a much higher percentage of their first purchases were very low value. Uh, normally just people will be buying a side table or you know a coffee table or something that's a bit lower value so that they could check out, you know, do I actually like this stuff? Um, get, get it into the house, do I like this stuff? Then they would come back and make that you know, £2,000 purchase of a new dining table, chairs, um, you know, maybe something else. But previously... I think I guess what what they had experienced was the that initial that initial small purchase didn't need to happen because people would go into the stores to actually see the stuff and check it out, okay, and get convinced there, and then they're just and then they're happy to just place the order. Right. No. And and yeah. So, because there's there's a lot less risk in making that first initial purchase, right? Yeah. So that's something that changed for them, which is why I say you you can't really get an idea of that first purchase, right? And even even without that that experience of wanting to check something inside, 
you might get someone who comes to your website and spends a thousand pounds or a thousand dollars in their first purchase. You know, they're just happy to buy anything, but they never come back. Yeah. They might have, it could be that they've just bought everything they need and they're happy, they're done. It could be that they actually have a bad experience. And so, you know, they've bought the stuff and they go, well, actually, it's not as good as I thought it was going to be. I'll keep it, whatever. Um, but, but they don't come back. And also you might get someone who makes a $20 purchase as their first purchase. That could be well below your, your, um, your average order value, your free shipping threshold, but they don't care. They just want to buy that one product, but then they will come back. So, you know, obviously you can do, you know, you can do surveys, you can ask people like there, there's a million ways to, to do this, but how do you re- generally go about or recommend brands go about gathering feedback from their consumers? Yeah, just ask for it. Um, there's a few different ways of doing it. If you, depends on what, it depends what sort of feedback you want, what problem you're trying to address by gathering this feedback. Um, obviously, you get through customer service, you can get loads of feedback, right? You know, should be looking at what people, what questions people are asking, what issues they're having, and then try and address those so that people don't have to answer those questions and, and don't have those issues. Um, but otherwise, interviews are great, right? And you can do them in 15 minutes, 30 minutes, depending on how, how detailed you want to go. Um, it, again, I, I suppose it comes down to whether you've got a very specific area that you want to address and see if, and see if you can fix it, or if you're happy to just get a general feeling for what people are thinking about your store and your products. You know, if, if you've got that specific area to address, then a 15-minute call is fine because you're just targeting that and saying, look, what is the what is the main reason you you haven't made a second purchase? Yeah, and is that something? And just kind of, is that something that you should be be doing continually, or you know, sort of do sprints of gathering feedback? I mean, how how does um, how does a brand assess when to be gathering that feedback, or is the answer just always? I think you you've got those always on channels, which are customer service and reviews. So reviews of your of your business, your products, um, but also competitors. You can be checking in on, you know, are, are people facing problems with your competitors that you could be the answer to. Um, you've got social media as well. You could be monitoring that to see what people are saying. But when you're specifically trying to get that feedback, you probably need to do it in sprints, really. Mm-hmm. Because if you're, you know, addressing something in your, your checkout, for example, or, or might be what is the reason you, you haven't come back and purchased again, you want to gather that feedback, then you want to, analyze it, kind of summarize it, turn into action points to then go in and test and implement. While you're doing that testing and implementing, there's probably not much point continuing with interviews because you're, you're probably going to get feedback that you already know. Yeah. And, but also that feedback is probably going to change after you've, you've implemented your changes. So if you've already decided you're going to make these changes or, or run these tests, you can probably put the research on hold for a bit, put those interviews on hold, make that implementation, let it run for you know a couple of weeks um, to, to get enough data through it, and then pick up the pick up the conversation again if you've not seen that improvement. Yeah, at a certain uh, point, ideally, you have to pick make, the direction and, and go for it, right? Yeah, um, but ideally, you know, you've you've made that implementation because the feedbacks, you know, you've assessed that feedback properly, and you've said, okay, this is the solution to it. You've, you've run a test, test it success, successful, you implement it, um, and then hopefully you can move on to another area. Now, I would always suggest iterating on tests. So 
I'm not suggesting you you do that one test, it wins and you move on to something else, but you probably don't need to be researching that area. If you've got a winning test, you know you're onto something, then it's just up to you to come up with those iterations. Yeah. Now, uh, I know that a big focus of yours is direct to consumer. Um, so if, if this is a little bit out of your wheelhouse, please tell me. Um, but what, if any, are some of the big differences you could identify in customer lifetime value between a direct-to-consumer business model versus another one, whether, you know, any, any of the variety? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm not sure how to answer that. Um, I mean, yeah, what sort of thing are you looking for here? No, no, ab- absolutely. Uh, uh, I mean, I guess based on the companies that you've worked with previously, I wasn't sure if some of them were maybe less direct-to-consumer focused. Um, I guess I was just thinking you have business-to-business, B2B2C. Um, I was just wondering, but, you know, I guess if, if it's a little bit yeah, out of no, that, then that's totally fine. Every, everything I do tends to be D2C. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or, sorry, e-commerce. Um one of my clients at the moment does have stores they have their own stores Um, at the moment I don't believe there's any link up and and I don't get too involved in it because my my focus with that client is conversion rate optimization on the website Um, although I'm trying to I'm trying to get involved on the email side as well so um, that that would be interesting because that would open up that that real omni channel um, experience for for a certain group of customers but um yeah, everything I do is is direct to consumer, really. So I haven't really got that comparison. Yeah, no, that's a hundred percent fine. So you know, shifting gears a little bit, you know, thinking about you know some of the methods that you have, the tools that you use um, for increasing conversion. You know, maybe what are some of your favorites or the more notable ones you can speak to? Uh, I'd say pr- probably, quite possibly, my favorite tool is Hotjar. Okay. Um, their their pricing model, I feel, is getting a bit more difficult. Um, they did get acquired late last year, mid last year, I think. Yeah, sometime last year. Um, but it's just a fantastic tool, right? So you've got you've got your heat maps, heat maps, scroll, click, uh, all really really important for telling you how people are interacting with the website, with the page. Um, you've got session recordings, so you get to actually watch people interact with the site. So you're not just seeing the click; you're seeing what they've done before and after the click. Um, and then you've got your on-site surveys as well. So you can do an exit intent on desktop to ask people, you know, what's the number one, one, number one reason you haven't purchased today? Um, or, you know, what information would make this page more useful? And you can just ask questions like that. That will give you loads of feedback. And, you know, quite it's quite common to get some feedback that seems really, like, simple and uh, not obvious as a fix, but you might feel that it's obviously on the website. So almost every business I work with there will be questions from customers about what is your shipping policy, what is your returns policy, and most brands will say, "But we've got that. You know, it's it's in that little banner at the top of our page, or you know, it's mentioned on the home page." And you have to remember that people people scan, right? They don't take into into account every single pixel on the page. Uh, a lot of the time, these I think these top banners, um, they're starting to get get affected by banner blindness, really. I think a lot of people just skip over them because they just assume that there's three random sale, probably pro- kind of promotional messages there. They, they don't really care. They want the product, right? So they want to look at the product information. And so that's where you can put that information. So I, I ran a test with a client recently. We've added uh, either free shipping or free shipping over £40 
depending on the value of the product you're looking at. Mm. And that sits right in the middle of the product page. Uh, so where is it? At the moment, it's just underneath the price. So that's really, really obvious. And that's, that's improved conversion on desktop and mobile for them. You know, I, I, it's, a, it's a great example of A-B B testing, right? Now, how long do you generally run those tests before you make a decision and you act on it, right? So obviously, you know, you're testing two variations of something, and that's just one example of it. How long are those tests generally, those periods of time? So I've, I've run them for at least seven days, right? You just, you can't, can't do it less than seven days because you've got that seasonality based on, on a day, per day, day by day basis. Um, and you need a minimum amount of, amount of traffic through that, those tests. Now I see pe different people say different things. Um, you're obviously looking for a statistical significance of 95, well, probably 95% um, to, be, to be safe. If you are happy with more risk, you can drop that to you know, 80% if you want. Um, I, I target about 95. Uh, and then it's about the traffic. And you need, to, you need to make sure you get enough traffic through it so that you've really got that statistical significance. Because you know, if, you've got, uh, if you get five people through it, um, through the test, and you know, five convert on, the, on the, the new variant, one doesn't, and on the other variant, you've got one person who converts and four doesn't, that looks like you've got statistical significance, right? But the sample size is way too small. Yeah. And, uh, and also probably on that, you're showing a massive conversion rate increase. Whereas if you scale it up to 100,000 people on each side, those numbers are going to be much, much closer. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, there's no, I wouldn't say there's a fixed number. You probably want to get at least 5,000 people through each, uh, each variant, including the control. Um, yeah, 5,000 minimum, 10, 20,000 better. Like it depends on what yeah. you're doing, doesn't it? No, absolutely, um, and and I think that statistical statistical significance might be one of these. But you know, what are some of the things that clients that come to to work with you maybe aren't thinking about initially that you have to really educate and push them on or challenge them on? There is that that statistical significance, right? That's that's a big one. Getting enough people through the test, um, and one one big issue I see is people people ending tests too early because they think they're seeing a positive or negative result. And it's it might be showing a, you know, I've, I've seen tests where, uh, in fact, we had a positive positive result of about plus 15% for, for ages. And it was looking like it was a winning test. And I said, right, we've just got to complete the 14 days because I think we're on about day 10. And by day 14, the test had flipped and we were now seeing a negative. So we ran that for another week just, just to confirm it and it was a negative result. Right, but if we'd ended that test after after seven days, or even after five days, or whatever, or, or ten, um, we would have thought there'd be a positive impact from that test, but it would actually would have lost the client uh, money. So that's why it's important to uh, to make sure you get the the numbers through the test and not end it too early. No, absolutely, and and in a lot of cases, maybe maybe less so um, in this instance. You know, there's lagging indicators, right? So if you make a call too early, you know, you potentially miss out on you know po the positive outcome, or you know, obviously there can be negative outcomes to that as yeah. well. Um, you know, we're I think another another thing I want to mention is you've got to look at at that whole journey as well. Um, depending, on, so a, a lot of tests you will be doing it on conversion rate because that's that's the end result you want, but 
particularly with sites with lo uh, lower levels of traffic, uh, if you want to run tests a bit quicker, you could be looking at add to cart, something like add to cart. Right? Is this test improving the number of people who are just adding the, adding the product to cart? And if that's having a positive, positive impact, then you should see a positive impact on your conversion rate as well. Yeah. Unless you, unless you've got some hacky, uh, you know, misleading way of getting people to add to cart. But if you're doing it genuinely, if you're doing it properly, if you get more people to add to cart, your conversion rate um, should improve. No, absolutely. Um, and then there's the yeah. Sorry, you said lag, uh, lagging indicators, but um, it's the post post purchase as well. That's another area to look at, both uh, for returns. So if you've improved conversion rate, do you also see an increase in returns? Um, and, and this could be for, for anything, right? You could be changing images, you could be changing copy. Anything could then cause an increase in returns. So you've got to pay attention. The one, I guess, mistake, it's not exactly a mistake. One thing I see people do wrong is they assume that that's only really likely to be caused by, an, by changing the returns policy and making your returns policy more generous. And I, I've seen the opposite. Uh, well, sorry, not exactly the opposite, but I've seen uh, I've seen return policy, uh, sorry, return rates stay steady, uh, if not decrease, because the company actually becomes more efficient with things anyway. Um, decreased rate of returns with an increased return window. So one of my clients went from 14 days to 30 days, which is, I guess, more, you know, 14 days, I think, is the legal minimum. But 30 days is kind of like best practice yeah. for e-commerce. That tends to be what most companies do. They saw a decent increase in conversion rate and no impact on returns. Well, no, no negative impact. On and returns. I imagine that a big part of that, right, is because, you know, you're the, there's less risk. Again, I feel like I already said it earlier in the conversation, but there's less risk to you as the consumer because you have more time to return it if you don't like it, right? And obviously the, the brand, I think, is making the assumption that they're going to like our product and they're not going to return it, or at least not at a significant rate. Yeah, so you've got the, the lower risk for the customer. They know they can try the product out, they've got time to try it out, and then they can return it if they don't like it. But what people need to remember, and this is where, this is where the, the kind of pushback comes in increasing returns, customers are not buying with the intention of returning. So they don't see that 30-day return policy and go, oh, excellent, I can, I can try it for 30 days and then return it. They're thinking, I want this product, I want to buy it, but if I need to, I can return it. Yep. Right. Okay. You might maybe in fast fashion, you probably do get a bit more of that if you increase if you're more generous, because people people tend to buy more knowing that they will return it in fast fashion. But most other products, they're buying it because they genuinely want this product to help them and and to solve an issue. And uh, having a good returns policy just it makes it easy, right? I, I know. I've, what I, I'm sending about four things back to Amazon at the moment, um, just just because they're just not quite right. Yep. They're just not, you know. I, I bought a standing desk recently, but it was one of the ones that sits on top of the desk. Mm -hmm. It's not a separate desk, and it was just too big. It took up way too much space on the desk, and also because I, I have a dual monitor clamp for my desk, and if I attach that to the standing desk, the standing desk wasn't able to fully lower. Oh wow! Which meant I was. Yeah, it's a, there was just a, a little piece that got in the way, yeah. right? Which, which I hadn't thought about. Um, and it meant I was almost permanently standing. So I, th I pretty much had a week. Was it last week? Yeah, last week where I was standing the entire week. And that was that was tough. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. Um, but yeah, the, the point is, I know I can return. I didn't 
I didn't buy it thinking I'm just going to test this out and if I if I like it I'll keep it if I don't like it whatever I'll, or yeah whatever but I knew that buying from Amazon meant that I could return it if it didn't work out for me. Yep, I pretty much only then, buy things if no... it says ships from or sold by Amazon because then you know you know that you yeah. you know I think there's maybe been one time I've bought something and I got you know screwed over because they didn't adhere to the Amazon return policy. Um, but to your point, that drives the decision and, for a lot of people. Yeah, and, and people check this in reviews as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I've um, I've been doing some interviews recently with customers for for clients, and so many people mentioned they want to see the returns policy just stated, mm-hmm. right? They don't even have to see the detail. They just want to see returns policy stated on the product page. And quite a few people said, when I prompted them about whether they look at reviews or not, they said they did, and they're normally checking it to see the service level of the company. So they're not, they're actually not, in, in this case, uh, also, well, this was a retailer. So they generally know that these these products are from other brands, they're from reputable brands, so there's not gonna be an issue with the product. So in this case, they're looking for those reviews of the company. Do they ship them out quickly? If I have a problem, how what is customer service like? If I need to return it, what's their um, what's the process like? And you know, they're all saying, Well, you know, we looked at the reviews, we saw that you know, this wasn't a problem with this company, people had had good experiences, and that convinced them to make that purchase. Um I think this this sort of Bring, you know, logically brings me into my my next question. So we've talked a lot about conversion. We've talked a little bit about retention and like that post purchase process. Um, and this is again a very a very probably nebulous question. It depends a lot. Um, but when you're thinking about committing resources as a business owner to retention and conversion, right? How do you strike an appropriate balance, right? If it even even if we think specifically about like a budget, right? Do you cut it 50-50 and put half and half, or again, how do you make that determination? Oh yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, I guess it depends on on where you are with with either of them, right? You know, I'm, let's assume anyone listening has a an e commerce business that is going. It's making it's making some money. You've got a few automation setup and things, right? So where would you go once you're at that basic level of setup? Um, I would kind of look at. Uh, Look at the performance side. So, let's say your, your average conversion rate is is two percent in your industry. If you are between one point five to two point five, then you're probably okay. Um, you're generally okay. There's nothing to worry about. There's obviously room for improvement, but you're not worrying. If you were less than one percent, that's when you'd be saying, okay, conversion rate on the website is an issue. We so I would then focus more energy there. Um, but also, you've got to look at you know what sort of flows have you got, have you got set up. Um, what's the logic that's in place? Uh, have you got, uh, you know, extensive automation setup, or have you pretty much just got one welcome email, an abandoned cart email, and that's it? So I think I think it depends. It does depend where the opportunity is, and um, it also depends on resource, right? It's a lot easier for a business to set the automation up, and and build out those email flows because there's a lot more. You know, there are, Clavio has templates, right? All you've got to do is select the flow. Uh, you know, you don't even have to be a designer if you didn't want to. You can just type in, uh, use their um, use their uh, what's it called builder, like template email builder, right. uh, drag and drag and drop builder. That's what I meant. You can use that. You know, any business owner can go and set those up with almost no marketing knowledge, no experience. You can't do that with conversion rate optimization. You've got to have the right the right people, the right experience there. Because that is, 
that is really trying to understand why people do things, you know, why why customers react in certain ways, um, what is going to convince them to make that purchase. Um, so I, I think, yeah, you know, it, it, it does depend on your situation, your setup. I would say majority of people, it's easier to just focus on that automation, get that set up, get that retention in place, give people a better experience. Because if you do that, that's probably going to funnel into conversion rate anyway. Yeah. You know, if, if your emails are good, those people will convert better. If you give people a better experience, they're going to leave better reviews. They're going to tell people about your business. That's going to help with conversion rates because you know, people already have a, an expectation. Um, but if you've got if you've got some of the resource or if you've got budget to hire someone like me, um, then uh, you know you can make up conversion rate optimization is going to help. You're going to lower your CPAs, which you know I think a lot of people are having problems with at the moment. So if you can lower that cost of acquisition. Uh, Normally, a lot of the time, I get an increase in average order value as well um, through what I do, uh, and then people filter into those automation flows. So, yeah, it um, does depend a bit, but uh, for a, a reasonably established business who's already got you know automations in place, then I'd look into conversion optimization. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that's fair. Build something that's repeatable, something that's scalable, um, and it's fascinating how much technology has enabled you know businesses in every industry of every shape and size, right? Yeah. Um, and I, but, you know, like you say, you you can get these you can in an evening you yep. could get these automation flows set up based you know, not incredible flows but you could get some decent flows set up in, something's in better than an, nothing an evening <laughs> or two or you know maybe that's for the wrong audience but you know in a day let's say <laughs> rather than an evening so I, I've I've got a new business I'm working on so uh, that's my evening work but uh, yeah in in an afternoon you could set up your abandoned cart flow quite easily and then that can just sit there. Right, you, you should optimize it, you should be looking at it, reviewing it, but if you're strapped for a resource and need to focus elsewhere, get it in place and then that's just gonna drive you money on autopilot. Yeah. You can't do that with CRO. Right? There's no autopilot for CRO. You've gotta you've gotta put some time and energy into it. Yeah. What would you say you know, a lot of change has taken place in the last ten years, let's just bookmark it, but thinking more to the last two to four years, what are some of the changes that have really impacted the work that you do? Um, I think there is obviously the changes with iOS and, and Facebook have impacted it. People are looking for more CRO support because there's only so much optimization you can do on the advert side, right? And actually, um, it's something I haven't written about yet, but I'm, I'm going to do a post on LinkedIn about it. It feels like CPAs are entirely the responsibility of the advertising team that is that is working on that channel. But that just assumes that the website is perfect, right? And that you can't make any changes to the website. Yeah. Because then you, you know, if you're saying the only thing you can do to change your CPA is to target some different keywords or change your, change your, uh, your ad copy, then you know, you're, you're, missing, you're missing a huge amount of opportunity. Um, so I think it's, it's really important for business owners or, and you know, heads of marketing, heads of e-commerce, whoever, to really understand that there's huge amounts of opportunity to optimize the website, um, to not only drive more money, you know, more revenue, but you'll also see that decrease in, in cost of acquisition, which means your budget can go further, yeah. which means you acquire more customers, more revenue, 
and you built that loop. And that that's been a huge so they, trend, absolutely, right? Has been you know the business value of technology, right? And the understanding from from the higher ups in the business that you know we need to invest more money in technology solutions into our website, into you know, etc. So, <clears throat> uh, yeah. Any um, anything else in particular that maybe we didn't discuss that you think is important for for us to highlight, or or that you would want uh, our listeners to to know of or be aware of? Yeah, I mean, very briefly, quickly, um, just back to what I was saying at the start. You know, if you, and this doesn't just apply to CRO, this does apply to advertising, to emails, whatever. The key areas are you know, usability. You know, does this work? Does it get me to the right place? Anxiety. Is this, are we dealing with any uh, concerns or doubts or questions that a customer has? And motivation. So are we exciting the customer? Are we making them feel like their life's going to be better because they've got this product? And combine you're using those to answer the questions. You know, uh, is this the right product or service for me? Is this the right business to buy it from? And if you approach everything with that attitude and, those, and with those in mind, you'll be able to you'll be able to make improvements everywhere. I love that. So those those are the things I'd be focusing on. And if you do that, another added bonus is you can start ditching discounts, um, which is actually a webinar I did uh, not too long ago about ditching the discounts. People. People don't buy because you give them a 20% discount. They buy because they want the product. And a lot of the time, you putting that 20% discount in front of them, you know, it, it might get them to make the purchase there and then. It might bring forwards that purchase. But normally, I think what you find is you've either not convinced them beforehand, right? You've not convinced them that that's the right product yet. Um, or you're incentivizing it so much, they just go, yeah, cool. You know, whatever. I'll just I'll buy it, and if I don't like it, I can just you know it's not a lot of money, or I can just return it or whatever. Yeah, I love I, I love some of the solutions out there that do you know quizzes or chats to try and you know actually understand what does this customer want, what are they interested in, and then to your point, rather than hey give me your email and you get fifteen percent off, you get a landing page of products curated based on what it thinks you're, you're going to like. Right? That's yeah. I, I don't know. I love that. This, this is something I'm looking into a lot at the moment, doing a lot of work into um, like product wizards and quizzes, right? Because not only are you capturing all that data, which means you can feed it into your acquisition channels, you can feed it into your automation, but you're going to improve conversion because when I answer those questions, you know, uh, what type of product am I looking for? Or you know, do I suffer from any of these conditions or pain points, whatever it might be? When you then say, okay, cool, based on what you've told us, this is the right product for you, it's, I was thinking about this earlier today, actually, it's almost like a search function, right? Except I don't know what I'm searching for. But now I've found the right product. So it doesn't come across salesy. It's not the comp, it doesn't come across as the company saying, here's, here's the product, go buy this product. It's the fact that you've, because of your answers, you've identified that product as the solution. Yeah. Which makes a big difference to the way people think about it. And so you're, you're much more likely to sell the products and it gives you a much easier opportunity to do bundles if your if your business is is kind of built for them. So, you know the um, that tea I was talking about at the start, they do a, uh, a discovery bundle, actually. And obviously, as a discovery bundle, that's a bit different because that's like a sample thing. But it'd be really easy for them to say, you know, answer these five questions, and we'll put together a like a tea routine for you. And then they can say because all their teas are like energized, calm, sleep focus maybe yeah you know all targeted those sort of things so they'd be able to say well what we recommend is taking uh like one energize uh you know 
with your breakfast and that'll get you going for the day and then you can have your coffee in the day in the in the later later in the morning or in the afternoon um if you're feeling stressed at all during the day maybe after lunch whatever have a calm yeah to like kind of resettle you for the afternoon and then before you go to bed have a sleep and just put those three in front of me and say this is your bundle do you want to subscribe to it or just do you want to buy it once? Yep. It's so consumer like like yeah, like I said, consumers yeah. uh, don't necessarily want more choice. They want better choice, right? They want something that they're going to like and is applicable and relevant to them. Yes, and sorry, that's something another thing I was going to mention earlier. Uh, I can't remember the stats, um, but I read a, a report uh, that was written a few years ago now, probably about about maybe about ten years old now. Consumers like customization, but they particularly like customization where the company has input into it. So they don't want to customize from scratch. They want they want to be able to say, this is what I'm looking for. This is, uh, you know, this generic product doesn't do it, but if I can change that for this, then it's fine. Mm-hmm. That works really well. So that's where these product wizards come in as well, because while they're not customizing it exactly, the, cus- the customer is having a say, but they're having a say from a set of preset um, choices and, and offerings yeah and so that you know that's something that works really well with with um for conversion i've got a, a client who is a they build custom pcs and what we're finding is that people people want they don't want the complete customization from scratch they don't want to have to pick every single little component because a lot of them they don't really understand and they don't understand how a processor inter- interacts with a, a gpu so they don't know whether to spend more on one more on the other whatever so what they want is to be able to say, I want a mid-range gaming PC at this price. And we go, cool, here's the one for you. But you can configure it if you want to. Mm-hmm. And you still give them that full configuration, but they might just say, oh, I just want one one level up on the uh, the graphics card. Yeah. And I'm happy to spend an extra 250 quid for that. Um, but it's, it's that level of, I can customize it for me, so it's right for me, but I'm not having to do all the work. Um, yeah. yeah, don't want to. You know, you know, absolutely. You don't want to have. You know, I want to be able to say, I want this couch. I just I wish it could be red. Okay, if it's red, I can buy it. Right. You know, even just minor tweaks like that. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Um. You know, the, this is great. I feel like we could we could go down so many rabbit holes here. But so for the sake of our listeners, you know, where can that you you have a great podcast? Where can they listen to your show and learn more from you? Um. Or if they wanted to get in touch with you and, and maybe talk more about your services, where can our listeners find you? Yeah, so the podcast, uh, Customers Who Click podcast, it's on iTunes, Spotify, everything, probably everywhere that this podcast is. Um, Best way to contact me is on LinkedIn. Um, You you, you could drop me an email, will at customerswhoclick.com. But yeah, find me, Will Lawrenson, on LinkedIn. Um, I've got got a beard, so I'm I'm reasonably recognizable on there. Um, Yeah, and uh, I post loads of content on there, so I, I do share the podcast on there. Um, share loads of tips, advice around conversion rate optimization, customer lifetime value, uh, retention, and uh, and yeah, I'm pretty responsive to, to messages on that. Awesome. Really cool. Well, I really, really enjoyed the conversation today, uh, and I look forward to having you on for, for yeah, future interviews. That's it for this episode of E-Commerce with Coffee, powered by Amber Engine. If you haven't gotten your fix yet, be sure to get more e-commerce brand secrets on our website at amberengine.com. And don't forget to subscribe for more episodes.